0: Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast. A podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about turn around favor. Turn around favor. Because here's what I believe I heard the Holy Spirit say to me this week. That God's going to take what your enemies meant to destroy you. And He's going to turn it around for your good. How many of you ready for that kind of a turnaround this morning? Hey, Amen. We, uh, we just finished up talking about the book of Ruth. Today I want to go and I want to share with you, not from the book of Esther, I'm going to preach to you the book of Esther today. There, and there's 10 chapters in the book of Esther. You're going to be surprised how quickly we can preach through the book of Esther, or maybe you won't be surprised. By how quick we, we preach through the book of Esther. But, but Esther is another one of those books of the Bible, man, that is just covered with the favor of God. When you come to, to, to Esther chapter 1, you find that there is a guy by the name of Xerxes who is the king over all of Persia and Media. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he rules over 127 provinces. 127 provinces. And that his kingdom stretched from India to Ethiopia. That's how big his kingdom was. And and so Xerxes decided that he wanted to bring the leaders from all of these provinces in. He's going to throw a banquet for them because he wants to show off his vast wealth. He, He wants to show off all of his glory and the splendor of his kingdom. And so he invites all of these leaders in from 127 provinces. And this banquet lasts for 180 days. And at the end of that 180 days, as if that wasn't enough, he finishes with a seven-day feast. And everybody's invited to come to this seven-day feast from the greatest to the least. And the king tells his servants, he said, you tell everybody they can eat as much as they want. They can drink as much as they want, or they can eat or drink as little as they want. Well, at the end of seven days, after King Xerxes has had a little bit too much to drink, along with a lot of these other guys, he sends for his queen, whose name is Vashti, and he he sends for Vashti, and Vashti is having her own little banquet for all the women who are the wives of these leaders over these 127 provinces. And when the king calls for her, because here's what he wanted, he wanted her to put on her crown, and then he wanted her to come into the presence of all of these drunk men and parade her beauty and show off what a lovely figure she had. Well, when she got word of what the king wanted her to do, like most women, she said, "Uh uh-uh, ain't going there. Ain't going to do that. She declined his invitation. And when the king found that she had declined his invitation, he was furious. And so he called some of his advisors in and he said, what am I going to do? How how am I going to handle this? And listen to what some of his advisors told him. They said, listen, king, if word gets out about this, every woman in this province is going to start disrespecting and dishonoring their husbands. So you're going to have to put your foot down. And they said, here's what we're recommending to you. We're recommending to you that Vashti is not allowed to ever come into your presence again. And that you are to replace her with another queen. Well, he thought that was a great idea. And so they wrote it into the law of the Medes and Persians and he takes his signet ring, the king does, and he seals it, which means that now that it's been written into the law of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be changed. He can't change his mind. But when you go to Esther chapter 2, see we're already at chapter 2. When you go to Esther chapter 2, you you, you discover that Xerxes is now disappointed in himself over that decision that he's made. His fury has subsided. He's not angry anymore. He's sobered up. And, And now he's sad about that decision that he made to banish the queen From his presence forever and some of his eunuchs and and his advisors saw that the king was sad Saw that he was depressed and so one of his advisors came up with this idea He said I know what we'll do. Let's have a beauty pageant and we're going to have beauty pageants in all 127 provinces. And, and, and whichever woman wins the beauty pageant in her province, then all 127 winners, will bring them here to, uh, to, to the fortress of Susa. And then we'll have one big beauty pageant. And whoever wins that beauty pageant, that woman will become the next queen. Well, that brings us to verse five here in Esther chapter two. It says, "Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish." Now, now let me tell you why they give us a brief genealogical record of where Mordecai came from. Notice it says that he came from the son of Kish. Now, now when you when you go back. What you're going to discover is that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they were weary and they were hungry and they were thirsty, a group of people called the Amalekites who had a king by the name of Agag, a group of people called the Amalekites attacked the nation of Israel in their weakenedness when they were thirsty and when they were hungry. And attacked them and because they attacked them when they were weak God said if it's the last thing i'll do i'll make sure that every one of those amalekites cease to exist And you remember that god had given saul the king of israel the first king of israel He had told saul that when you go to battle against the amalekites You're not to allow any one of them to live and you're not to allow any of their cattle any of their livestock to live But the bible says that saul spared the life of agag the king of the Amalekites, as well as some of the finest of his cattle. Well, when God found out what Saul had done, he said to Saul, I'm going to rip the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to somebody else, which would be David. But in the meantime, God would send Samuel, the prophet of God, who confronted Saul and told Saul, what you didn't do, I'll finish. And Samuel, the prophet of God, takes takes like a machete, takes a sword and cuts Agag into little pieces. Now you said, Pastor, why are you telling all of that? It's important as we go on in this story because Mordecai is a descendant of Saul. Mordecai is one of those Israelites who would have remembered that it was the Amalekites and Agag who attacked his people when they were weak. So we've got Mordecai here. And notice what it says. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father or mother. So we learn here about Hadassah, who's also called Esther, that she is an orphan. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. And and, and then listen as the story continues here in verses 8 and 9. It says that Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai who had charge of the harem. Now remember, now she's one of these young ladies that's brought in to compete in this beauty pageant. And notice what happens with her connection to Haggai, the servant of the king. She pleased him and won his favor. That's important. She has won the favor of the person who is in charge of the beauty pageant. Now, if you want somebody's favor in a beauty pageant, you want the person who's in charge of the beauty pageant. And she won his favor. Now, now, now get this. The, the, the Bible tells us when these girls would go in to present themselves to the king, that they had to go through 12 months of beauty treatments, before they could even present themselves to the king. 12 months. You think Miss America has to do that? Or Miss Universe has to go through 12 months of beauty treatments? But, But she wins Haggai's favor. And immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Why? Because stuff like that happens to you when you got the favor of God on your life. Look at your neighbor and say, you're God's favorite. Amen. Amen. And then the story continues and says this. That Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. She's a Jew, but she hasn't revealed that yet. She keeps that a secret for now because Mordecai has told her to keep it as a secret. But then notice what happens in verse 15. It says that when it came Esther's turn to go to the king, she asked for nothing Other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Now look at this. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. So now she doesn't just have the favor of Haggai. Now she has the favor of everybody who saw her. But the favor doesn't stop there. Look at verse 17. It says that the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Look at this, this little orphan whose life has now been turned around because of the favor of God. She is now the new queen to the king Xerxes. Now, at the end of chapter 2, we're given a little footnote that is so important. Don't forget this because it's important later in the story. It says that during the time that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana, that sounds like a mobster, doesn't it? Oh, Big Thana. Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate. King Xerxes. But look, in verse 22, it says, I'm sorry guys, but it's not cooperating with me here. You're gonna to have to help me back there. It has locked up. We're having technical issues this morning. Go to, the next, go to the next verse if you would for me there. But it says that Mordecai found out, and I'm just gonna let you guys handle this for me from this point on. It says that Mordecai found out about the plot of the king being assassinated And told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Look at the next verse. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. And just keep this scripture there for a moment. And it says, all this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. Now that's important for you to remember. Because Mordecai has revealed a plot to assassinate the king. And it's recorded in the annals of the king in the history books of Persia. Now that's that's so important that you remember that as we continue in this story. Now let's go to chapter three, verse one, next verse. It says that after these events, and here's where we meet, meet the fourth and the final character in this story. King Xerxes honored Haman Some of Hametheda, or Hamadatha, boy, this is a big word right here. Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor. And just keep this scripture here for just a moment. Giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. Now, who is Haman? Notice, Haman is an Agagite. How many of you remember who Agag was? Agag was the king of the Amalekites who God had told Saul to kill. He didn't, so Samuel comes and hacks Agag into pieces. Well, that's Haman's descendant. And he knows now, it's been revealed, he knows now that Mordecai is a Jew and he knows now that it was his ancestors that destroyed his ancestor that it was the Jews who destroyed his people, the Amalekites, so there's bad blood between these two guys right here to begin with. And then notice what happens next in the in verse two. It said that all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. And just, just leave that scripture there for a moment. It says, but Mordecai would not kneel down and would not pay him honor. Now what we're going to see is that Haman is like Hitler haman decides that out of his hatred for mordecai that he's not going to be satisfied with just killing mordecai he's only going to be satisfied if he can kill every single one of those jews that have been scattered throughout the 127 provinces and so here's what haman does He goes to the king, and he says, King, there's a group of people living among us in these 127 provinces. He said, there's a group of people. He said, they separate themselves from us. They have different customs than we do. And by the way, king, they disobey your orders. They disobey your commands. And and, and I want your permission to kill all of these people and he said and by the way i'm going to make a donation to the royal treasury in the amount of 375 tons of silver talk about a bribe 375 tons of silver When well, the king xerxes looked at him and says i don't need your money keep your money but do what you want to with these people And so what Haman does is Haman puts together an edict. He puts together a law and he sends it out to all of the 127 provinces in all of their different languages that in a year from now, one year down the road, every Jew is to be exterminated. Every Jew is to be killed. Every Jew is to be destroyed. Well, you can imagine what Mordecai thought when, when, when he heard the word of this, when, when, when he found out that there has been a law and it was also a law of the Medes and the Persians that the king with his signet ring sealed so that it could not be changed. And when Mordecai heard about this, the Bible says that he tore his clothes and that he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the middle of the city and he began to weep and to wail loudly. And, and, and when Esther found out what was going on with Mordecai, she sent one of her servants to find out why is Mordecai acting the way that he's acting? And Mordecai sends back word about this edict, about the law that had gone out, this command that had gone out, that every Jew was to be exterminated one year from now. And then this is what Mordecai sends as a message to Esther. He said, now listen, Esther, it's time for you to use the favor that God has given you to help deliver your people. Well, she sends back a message to Mordecai and says, Mordecai, you know that to enter into the presence of the king uninvited means certain death. And his love for me has cooled and, and he hasn't called for me to come into his presence in, in over 30 days. And so she sends that message back to Mordecai. And if you would go to, to Esther now, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And it says that when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house that you alone... Of all the Jews will escape don't forget Esther you're a Jew as well you may not have revealed that yet but it's going to come out and don't think that about of all the Jews that you're the only one that's going to survive this and then go to the next verse for he said if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows This is the statement that you've probably heard more than any from the book of Esther. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, there's a reason why the favor of God is on your life. Esther, there's a reason why God has put you and placed you where he has put you and placed you for such a time as this. Esther, don't miss your opportunity to use your favor for the glory of God and for the blessing of your people. And so notice what she does. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. How many of you know when you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is talk to God? Spend some time fasting and praying when you need the wisdom of God. And she said, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, she said, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And I love this, and if I perish, I perish. What courage this woman has. But in the face of what she feels like is is perhaps certain death. Do you know what she is? She's obedient. And how many of you know that obedience is the key to experiencing the favor of God? We saw the same thing with Ruth. That Ruth was a risk taker that Ruth was a woman of courage, that Ruth was a woman of obedience. And because of that, she experienced the favor of God. So what does she do? She leaves, she goes and she puts on her royal robes and she goes to the king's palace. And when she gets out into the courtyard, the king who is sitting on his throne and his throne would have faced the entrance of the courtyard. And before she could ever get into his presence she he saw her out in the courtyard and and look at what look at what he says when when he saw queen esther standing in the court he was pleased with her somebody here this morning who fears god needs to know god is pleased with you he's pleased with you don't be afraid of god don't fear god because of jesus you have access to the throne of God. And you can come boldly to his throne without any fear, without any intimidation because of Jesus. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and he held out to her the gold scepter which is symbolic of grace and favor that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? And I want you to keep this scripture here for just a moment. He said, even up to the half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. And so here's what she said. She said, King, I want you and Haman to come to my house tonight. I've prepared a banquet for the two of you. And so the king goes and he grabs Haman and they go to Esther's house for the banquet that night. And when they get to the banquet that night and after Haman and, and Xerxes had eaten and after they had, had, had finished drinking, the, the king looked at Esther again and said, ask Esther, tell me, what is your petition? I'll give you whatever you ask for, even, even up to half of the kingdom. And look at what her reply was here in verse seven. So Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, you notice how many times that word keeps coming up in this book. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come tomorrow for the banquet that I will prepare for them. And just keep that scripture here. Then I will answer The king's question. In other words, she's saying this. She said, I've prepared another banquet tomorrow night and I want you and Haman to come. Well, the Bible tells us this. The Bible says that when Haman left the presence of Xerxes and Esther that day, he was in high spirits. Because he's thinking, man, out of everybody in the kingdom, Queen Esther throws a banquet and the only two people she invites are me and the king. I'm somebody, I'm a big dog and he's feeling good about himself, he's in high spirits and the minute that he walks out of that banquet into the courtyard, there stands Mordecai (laughs) and once again Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman and doesn't show any fear towards him whatsoever. And so here's what Haman does. Haman goes home and he whines to his wife, Zeresh. And he says, I don't know what it is about this Mordecai, but he doesn't recognize who he's messing with. I mean, look at all of the vast riches that I have. Look at how many sons I have. I have ten sons. Look at how much the king has honored me, and not only that, but 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 Queen Esther has a banquet, and 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 the only two people she invites to her banquet are the king and me and and yet none of that satisfies me as long as that old Jew Mordecai is still alive and refuses to bow down and honor and respect me and so his wife said you know what I've heard about all this I want to hear why don't you just put up a 75 foot pole some people call it a gallows most translations call it a pole and she said make that pole 75 feet and have Mordecai impaled on that pole Just go ahead and deal with him and then go with with the king to, to, to Esther's banquet and enjoy yourself. Well, something unusual happened that night. Chapter six, verse one. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles. You remember that book that we read about in chapter one, the annals of the king? He can't sleep. He knows how boring it is to read the Chronicles. And he can't go to sleep. So he says, bring that book in here and start reading the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. Now just stay right there for just a minute. And so they began to read it to him. And, and, and it just so happened. Now, Now here's what you're gonna discover about the book of Esther. It's the only book in the Bible where you never find the name of God mentioned. Not one time. You never find his name mentioned, but you sure see his hand at work. You see the providential hand of God working. And this here tells us that, that they began to read that Koran, and they just so happened to read about that time when Mordecai had revealed the plot of two guards to assassinate. And so here's what the king says. The king says, what did we ever do to honor Mordecai? for saving my life. And they said, well, we didn't do anything. He said, well, who's out there in the court? I need to talk to somebody that can can tell me what we need to do to honor Mordecai. Well, it just so happened that Haman was walking into the court at that time to get permission to impale Mordecai on that pole that he had constructed. And so he walks into the king's presence and here's what the king says. The king says, Haman, what, what should the king do for a man that he wants to honor. And Haman thinks, well, who else would the king want to honor besides me? And and here's, here's what he said. So he answered the king, Haman did. He said, for the man that the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Go on, if you would. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets proclaiming before him. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Now stop right there. And Here's what the king does. The king says, that's an awesome idea. Now go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> is anybody beginning to see the turnaround favor of God on some people's lives in this story? And so Haman has to do everything that he just said. He has to go and get Mordecai. He does all of that. He's totally humiliated. And he goes back home to his wife and he's telling his wife everything that happened and what he had to do. And his wife said, honey, you're fighting a losing battle. You're trying to fight a man that has the favor of God on his life. And as long as you're trying to fight a man that has the favor of God on his life, you don't stand a chance. So while they're still talking, the king comes, or he sends a servant to get Haman to go to Esther's next banquet. And we're about to wrap it up. This is where it really starts getting good. And they go to Esther's banquet. And again, after they've eaten and after they've had much to drink, the king looks at Esther and he says, okay, honey, this is the third time I've asked you. What is your petition?" I'll give you whatever you ask for up to half of the kingdom. And she finally answers him and said, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. Verse four, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. How many of you know the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy And she said, if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I'd have never bothered you about this because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. And look at the king's response. Because up until now, he doesn't realize that his queen is a Jew and that she's a part of this extermination of all Jews. And so Urxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Now don't you know Haman was wishing, I sure wish I wasn't here now. (laughs) And the king gets so angry that he gets up He goes outside trying to collect himself and while he's outside, Esther goes over to the couch or a bed to recline herself and Haman begins to beg for his life, plead for his life. And in his pleading and begging, he falls on the bed or the couch where Esther is reclining just as the king walks back in the room. And the king looks at him and says, what? You mean to tell me that you would even molest my queen in my own house And one of his eunuchs come over and immediately covers the face of Haman. And another of the eunuchs speaks up and says, King, I don't know if you know about this, but there's a pole out here about 75 feet high that Haman had built to to impale Mordecai on. And the king said, take Haman and and, and, and impale him on the pole that he had constructed for Mordecai. Is anybody beginning to see the turnaround favor of God? But look as the story continues, Esther chapter 8 verse 1, because what happens now with Esther and Mordecai, we're already at chapter 8, we're already almost done. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. Oh, you don't mess with somebody whose God has got his favor on their life because he'll take you out and he'll give what you got to the person that he's put his favor on. Oh, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king. For Esther, Mordecai did what? Mordecai came into the presence of the king. For Esther had told how he was related to her. Go to the next verse. And what did the king do? The king took off his signet ring which he had reclaimed from Haman and he presented it to Mordecai and Esther appointed Mordecai over Haman's estate. Do you know what it means to have the king's signet ring? It means that you You now have the authority and you now have the power to make decisions for the king. But she's not done yet. You know a woman, when she knows she's got favor, she's gonna keep asking and we all should be that way. Look, verse five, she said, if it pleases the king and if he regards me with favor, and thinks it the right thing to do. And if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, the Agagite, we're gonna leave that big word out, the Agagite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews and all the king's provinces. Go to the next, for how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Just stay right there. And the king looks at her and says, sorry, honey. Because once it becomes the law of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be changed. But he said, here's what I will do. You and Haman, sit down and write out your own plan. And we'll put in, in the law of the Medes and the Persians and seal it with my signet ring. And they did just that. And what they did and sent out to the 127 provinces is they warned them on this day, a year from now, or about a year from now, you have the right to protect yourself against your enemies and to plunder their goods. So they put it together, sealed it with the signet ring, sent it to the 127 provinces and then they leave the palace. But can I tell you, Mordecai don't leave the palace the way he came in to the palace. Because look at this next verse. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. That's a whole lot different than dust and ashes, sackcloth and ashes. God has totally turned things around. And then you go on to chapter nine. On the 13th day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. This was the day that the Jews were supposed to be destroyed. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned. Are you beginning to understand more about turnaround favor? But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. I told you that God is about to take what the enemy meant to destroy you and he's about to turn it around for your good. And notice what happens as we go to verses 20 and 21. And team, if you'll come on and get ready to help me close. It says that Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually what God had done the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. And look at this, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. I want you to stand up with me in this church house this morning and if you need some turnaround favor on your life, I want you just to begin to praise God in this room because God wants to turn some things around in your life today. Your sorrow turned into joy. Your morning turned into a day of celebration. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so just stay with me here. It's only 12.10. I did all of that in 36 minutes and 46 seconds. You didn't know they had a timer for me back there, did you? But three little things that you and I need to understand that Esther and Mordecai understood. Look at the first one. And that's our need for favor. Listen, God has big dreams, hopes, and plans for your life. But listen to me, you will never get there without the favor of God. Mordecai and Esther would have never gotten to where they got to. Ruth would have never gotten to where she got to. And all through Scripture, you'll find that when God has a plan and a purpose for somebody's life, if you're going to get there, you will need the favor of God. It's not your talent that's going to get you there. It's not your abilities that's going to get you there. It's not your wealth that's going to get you there. It's not your good looks that's going to get you there. It is the favor of God that will take you where God's planned for you to go. Second thing, favor comes from God. Even though you may experience the favor of man, don't you ever forget, favor comes from God. And then the third thing, the purpose of favor is to fulfill the plan of God. not not to make you famous not to make you rich not to make you successful and influential maybe the favor of God will do all of that for you but the primary purpose of the favor of God is to fulfill the plan of God in order that God gets the glory Is there anybody here this morning who needs a turnaround in your spiritual life today? Lift up your hand. Maybe you've been in a dry, barren season spiritually of your life. Is there anybody here this morning who needs a turnaround in a relationship today? A marriage, come on, get your hand up. A marriage with one of your children with a friend, another family member, a coworker. Anybody need a turnaround? Is there anybody in this room right now that needs a turnaround financially? Get your hand up. Is there anybody here in this room today that needs a turnaround in your physical bodies? Maybe you've been physically ill and sick. And you need a healing in your body today. You need a turnaround. Let me see your hand. What about on your job today? Is there anybody that needs a turnaround on your job? An increase in pay. A promotion on your job. Favor with your boss. Anybody? If you lifted up your hand at any point, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to get up here as quickly and as fast as you can. Come on, come on. Yes, obedience is the key. Obedience is the key. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself so why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summiton Church of God? I look forward to personally meeting you.